morning we will be in Isaiah a little bit. Thank you, worship team. We appreciate um, the wonderful gifts that you've given back to the Lord this morning. It's always a, a blessing to do that. So, wonderful counselor. When we seek after our wonderful counselor for God's solution, we can reduce the suffering that comes from high conflict. One thing I hate about the election season is high conflict. It's an us versus them. It is a um, we're right, they're wrong, or they're right, we're wrong mentality. And what a lot of times I can look through those situations, I can discern what's going on there, and I can agree or disagree with the situation, and sometimes there are some things there that can be uh, worked out and leveled out, but what the problem we have with high conflict a lot of times is we have a high audience when it comes to politics, doesn't it? And politicians with a big audience, we don't mind the winners, it's the losers that we have a hard time with, right? And the losers, they tend to cry, whine, and moan. How do I know that? Because I'm not a very good loser myself, and I've learned myself how to cry, whine, and moan. And when it comes to my Lord and Savior, when I am losing, I like to reach out to him and cry, whine and moan that it's not going my way. So do, do I understand high conflict? Do I understand um, what it means to lose? Absolutely. So we're going to work through um, some points that I learned at the conference a little bit, and we're going to see how scripture can even soften that blow a little bit more and also allow us to delight in our Savior better. So our verse this morning and, and for the next month really is Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and we will call wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Now if you were to look at this passage and you would tell me, well, Pastor House, that is a verse that deals with the second coming of Christ. And I would say, yes, you're correct. And I would also say, but there are attributes in that verse that also deal with the first coming of Christ. And as a person that has studied the Bible very little, compared to like a rabbi or somebody, or even a scholar in a college, I would have to give a little bit of grace for the first century Christians who thought the Messiah was going to come but one time. Because if you look at these passages, you can see that. The only caveat I would say is that it changed in the last hundred years. Most people have believed that there was going to be two comings of the Messiah and that it changed in the last hundred years for them into the first century, which kind of sounds a lot like our theology over the last hundred years. It's changed a lot. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, there's, there's a lot of new things that have come about, and some of it is rightly so. Because if you look at some of the theology that we've had even, I don't know, 200 years ago, we didn't have an event, say, similar to a World War II. And so it's really hard to see that uh, come into play when you can see the tyranny of a government who hates God's people, the Jews. And some things have changed since then. Now, a lot of people like to take their theology and they wrapped it right in with the things that went on in the 40s and 50s. And that doesn't work out because the 40s and 50s have come and gone, haven't they? And there's still something to be said for that. Now, we've gone through Revelation, we've looked through that, and what's neat to see about the story in Revelation is how it ties with the story of um, the first coming, when Jesus came as a, a Savior, and I really enjoy that. 
But we're going to back up from that story of Jesus coming to about 700 years before that, to the time of Isaiah. The passage was given to the people of Judah 700 years before the birth of Christ. The hope we find in this passage is coming of the Messiah, Jesus. God promised him to come, and God promises that he will come again to finish what he started. Now, the book of Isaiah is a unique book in the Bible. If you've ever studied it, it is one of the best linguistic books in the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah had a gift for um, the literal arts, and he really brought the Hebrew writing to its, its pinnacle, I think. And then what happens? The Hebrews are no more for a long time. They get wiped out, right? They, they go into um, a, a rough period there and go into exile for 70 years, and they have to build back up. And it's rough. But in this passage, right before they're sacked, right when they're comfortable, right when they're starting to do their own thing, hmm, sounds similar to maybe our country today, Right? We find these promises, they show up in a dark time for the people of Judah. And I don't mean a dark time as in um, oppression, which they'll get soon, but I mean a dark time in that they're not following the Lord. There's evil running amok. There is sin that is rampant and it's well accepted across their nation. And the prophet Isaiah was, I had to be well respected and some of the things God asked him to do, you would say it was a crazy loon. But when you talk to him and when you see what he's written, he is very sane. And he says, the Lord told me to do this. And so you would have to pay attention to this. Because as we read in the, in the New Testament, the Lord uses the foolish to shame the wise. He uses the weak to shame the strong. And uh, we find this passage here where he takes somebody who was very linguistically wise and he makes him look like a fool laying on the ground or different things. He does that to Jeremiah too. Um, run around naked for a year or something like that. They, it's, God's getting their attention. We find these passages show up in a dark time of the people of Judah. We have a wicked king and one who didn't want to have anything to do with God, and, and so much so that God says, I'm going to give you a sign. And this is in Isaiah chapter 7. This is Hezekiah's father. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign. You say, God show up right now. And I think God would have shown up right then. I think that's how strong, how much authority God gave this king. I think there's another time in history where God would have shown up or at least shown his Holy Spirit and poured it out on his people. And I believe that's at Mount Carmel when uh, the people are outside there. God was ready to pour out his spirit. He was only able to pour it out onto 70 and give them the Ten Commandments and the law to follow because they were too frightened. This king is too, I wouldn't even say frightened of God. I think he's not frightened of God enough. I think he's ready to write God off. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to become my own God. I'm going to follow these other pagan gods, and I'm going to do this. And God replies in, I wouldn't say it was a kind tone. I don't know if it was angry, but it was the anger of the Lord. So I don't know if it was necessarily contempt, because I don't know if God does contempt, but it was definitely some anger there. And it says in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, All right then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're looking for the Messiah, which Messiah means God save us, which Jesus means God who saves. Right? Can you see how all that ties together? So the sign was given and rejected, and it kind of reminds me of, do you remember the, the redneck tour that was going along not too long ago? It's been, it's been, I say not too long ago, it's been 10, 15 years ago, but Bill uh, 
Engel, yes, yes. He had a thing. Here's your sign. Well, what'd the sign say on it? You're stupid, right? Or as we would say down south, bless your heart. Uh, so he made a living about stating the obvious on these uh, here's your sign jokes. And here's an example. Sometimes he said, sometimes even I'm an idiot that steps on the, bro- on the road, uh, stops on the road, somebody broken down the side of the road, and with steam rolling off the engine, it says, your car broke down? And the guy says, nah, car wanted a cigarette. So I pulled over, and here's, here we are. Here's your sign, right? Or he said, the other, guy, I, the other day I was on the side of the road and had a flat tire, and the guy says, got a flat tire? And I said, well, no, sir, I was driving around here, and these other three just swelled right up on me. Here's your sign, right? Yep, it was, yep, Bill Engelvolt. No, this is the old ones. So I'm, I'm sure Bill's got plenty of new material, but I don't. I just took those two old ones. So, of course, we know that the sign says you're stupid, in a sense, and that's kind of what the sign is saying in um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You have an opportunity to change history as we know it, and you do not take it. Here's your sign. But all who reject that message, all who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which is what it, you're doing when you're um, rejecting the, the existence of God and, and you're saying that he doesn't exist, and then you reject his invitation to come to heaven... That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. And then you say, here's your sign. Because it's not only a sign that says you're stupid. It's a sign that says you're going to hell. And you've made that decision. You've made that choice. And we are here to avoid that. That's why the church is here. We're here to say you're going the wrong way. Going the wrong way. Turn around and... Go out of this. Walk out of this. Like I said, God gave a rare opportunity to change history and the tyranny of sin. And he refuses. I will not do anything with you, God. And he never experienced the wonderful counselor. He never experienced it. When we seek after our wonderful counselor, God's solution, we can reduce the suffering that comes from High conflict. The next point says, light in the darkness. We don't have to go too far to find the same attitude in this world, do we? People are stuck on self. How do I know that? Because I can get stuck on self, right? We all can get stuck on self at times. And we want to do it our own way. And it sounds noble. It sounds strong. Right? Don't we tell our two-year-old, no, you need to learn how to do this yourself. Or when they even say, I can do this all by myself. Sometimes we're like, yeah, that's right, you can. It's the problem when they become 13 and 14-year-olds and they're saying, I can do it all by myself. Or when they're 24-year-olds and they're saying, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about, old man. That's when we have problems, don't we? And it's that sense of rebellion But why would we do that? Why would we rebel against a God who loves us? Well, we can easily do it against parents that love us, right? And it's it's heartbreaking when you're on the, the back side of it. But sometimes there's rejoicing too because we know that there's times where uh, people follow the right way. But oftentimes that struggle, it leads us to despair And sometimes corners are cut because deadlines are looming and the ultimate deadline being the end of our life, we would call death. And while corners are cut, integrity is compromised and man does whatever it can to get what he wants for himself. When we try to grab the sands of time, what happens when we grab those tighter? just goes right through our hands, right? And it's gone. 
But if we open it up to the Lord and allow him to bless us, it can pile on top and it overflows with a lot of blessing. And man does whatever he can to get what he wants for himself. And with multiple people pursuing this line of thinking, we end up with a dark, dark world, don't we? You know, if just one, if it were just Cain that sinned against Abel, we would probably have been fine. But it multiplies, doesn't it? And see what we can get away with. We see what we can do. And there's nothing new under the sun. And we see a darkness and a broken world. that The same one that Isaiah saw back in his time. We also see it in the world today. We're losing a standard. We're losing our moral code. We're searching for answers. And we're falling short when we turn to ourselves for those answers, aren't we? But in this darkness and despair, we also see these moments of beauty, don't we? And that's a blessing and a curse. It's a curse in the sense that we know that the darkness is probably not the way to go. The darkness is not the standard. The darkness is not what we want. And so we see these moments of beauty of compassion. We see genuine acts of love. We see this in new life, in new birth. And you see your heart overwhelmed with joy and love for this new baby. And we have aha moments that leave you in wonder. Maybe it's a fall morning with the leaves changing, or maybe it's the first snowfall. Huh? Debbie, we're praying for you. You and Brian, both. That's snow. They like snow. No, I don't mind snow either. I, it's, I have a hard time snowing in March about time because I, I like season changes, right? I love to see the grass green up. I love to see uh, the buds come on the tree. I love to see the, the fall colors. I love to see summer and the winter. And I appreciate the seasons and I appreciate the hot and I appreciate the cold. And I'm grateful for each one when they come in their season. And we see an intelligent design that goes with that. And it points us to light in that darkness. An intrinsic design in nature. And we have light. We have this beauty. And we have this darkness. And we have this sin that goes along with it. And a lot of times we have two opposites and they're not necessarily bad to have these opposites brought to light this is one of the best ways you can stand up for a moral code is when you can show them how right right is and how wrong wrong is because when they start to look at these shades of gray in the center that's when the problem comes right and so we see these moments the problem is when people start to stand on those hills and they're not looking for compromise. And sometimes we can't compromise, right? We can't compromise the truth. But we can listen to what they think is true. We can ask them, tell me more about that when we really don't want to hear it. I don't really want to hear why abortion should be legalized. That is not where I'm going to go. God is a God of life, and I'm going to walk down that road of life. However, I need to listen to the other side so I can walk them back to center and hopefully toward life. Because if I don't listen, am I ever going to win my neighbor? No. Did Jesus listen? Absolutely. Why do you think he asked so many stinking questions? Right? He asked a lot of questions in the Bible. We need to listen. Right? So these two sides, these two opposite sides, especially when they start to stand on the ground, and they do that immensely when they have an audience, which we'll talk about soon. But we call this a binary problem. Right? There's two sides of the story. This is something that we want to avoid when it comes to conflict. And when you get into high conflict, this is exactly where they want you. They want two sides of the stories, two parties fighting 
squared off with each other. I'm just glad our political system isn't based on a two-party system. Oh, dang it, we're in trouble already, right? But the church is outside of politics, isn't it? Right? I only use that as an example because it shows so much. Where's another example we see this? You see this in gang warfare. You see two sides of the story. We got to protect our territory. This is how we're going to do things because there's structure, there's power. And when one side disrespects the other side, we can't have that. Pretty soon shooting starts happening and then we have high conflict. Well, if you look at the answer to that, the answer would be um, working through that conflict before it got escalated. We see this in Christianity too. We see this in Christianity with our sin. When we try to walk it our way and when we're trying to do things our way, we have a problem because our way is not consistent with the Lord's way all the time. And when we start to make our way the only way, we definitely have a problem there. When we become our own God, we start to worship ourselves. And God desires it to happen through a community with him at the head. There's trouble. So there are two different types of conflicts we're going to look at this morning, one briefly and one a little bit more long. Um, good conflict. Good conflict is important. Um, it's important to have. If I'm going to talk to somebody at, on the other side of the aisle that I disagree with, I need to be able to listen to them. And maybe they have a way to the solution that I have not thought of. And so it may rise up anger in me at first, but it has not moved to contempt, where I think I'm the only one that's right in this situation, and you don't know what you're talking about. When you get that attitude, you're not looking to resolve a solution. Good conflict also brings out surprise. I haven't thought of it that way before. I haven't looked at it from that perspective. So I can go back to the drawing board and see where they're coming, say, we're not really that far off from how we're going to, we're looking at this problem. I might be looking at it from the top down, you're looking at it from the bottom up. There's definitely a place that we can meet in the middle here. There's a fluidity that comes with good conflict. There's, the conversation keeps going. Uh, there's a rigidity when it comes to high conflict. There's a complexity, and to map it out, you would see many different facets of the problem. There's a simplicity when it comes to high conflict. Okay. There's a curiosity that goes with good conflict. There's a certainty that comes with high conflict. There's a passion that comes with good conflict. There's a righteousness that comes with high conflict. Violence is unlikely when it comes to high conflict because tempers stay cool. But in high conflicts, I'm right and you're wrong leads to uh, a humiliation that's going to occur and the loser's going to be bound out of shape. And many times, violence occurs. You see this? This is a model that has come from gang violence. Okay, So if you look at that, but you can see that warring inside of each one of us, right? We've talked about that just a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 7. There's a war that war wages inside us, and we can see how I want to be right, and God is, wants to be right, and how we're butting heads where both can be right if we follow his path. So we need to break the binary. We need to step back from the problem. We need to invite in extra counsel. Okay, if you are butting heads in your marriage, you need to invite in extra counsel. You need to go get counseling or you need to talk to your pastor, see how it works out, and then he may recommend more counseling on top of that. So let's look at the problem from their perspective. That's called empathy, right? When you can empathize with somebody and you can put yourselves in their shoes and how it's perceived, 
then the problem can be worked out. When we keep coming with the facts and the facts, and this is what this says, and you need to follow this, are we really listening to their side? No, we're not. We're not empathizing with them at all. And so when you empathize, it allows them to feel like they're heard, and then resolution can come. We need to listen. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words make tempers flare. That's Proverbs 15.1. And also, when this is building up anxiety in us, and we're not sure if they're listening to us. We turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. That whole passage around verse 7 is good when it comes to worry. It's when we seek after our wonderful counselor for God's solution, we can reduce the suffering that comes from high conflict. We also know that God has a plan, right? If he didn't, we'd all be in trouble. If God didn't have a plan, we'd be in trouble. In John chapter 1, we see in verse 4 and 5, it says, the word, of, the word gave God life to everything that has created, and his life brought light to everything. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're also talking about... Jesus Christ at that point in time, right? We're talking about Jesus was the light of the world that came into the world. Jesus then gives the Holy Spirit uh, to, to take his place while he's gone up to the Father to prepare a place for us. God sent his son Jesus Christ to take care of sin once and for all and defeat death so that we might have life through Jesus. There's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and that's through Jesus Christ. In that, we have to be a little rigid because that is the truth. There's no compromise in that. But is it going to be good for me to stand on that hill right at the beginning and say, no, you need to come to Jesus? And what about this? No, you have to come to Jesus. No, you have to come to Jesus. Listen to what they're saying because you will be able to lead them to Jesus every single time. They would say, well, have you ever thought about that? That's a good thing, but I have thought about that. Have you considered this and this? No, I hadn't. It kind of brings you back to Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, what about this? What if I were to do it this way? Well, the problem with this is that it's an imperfection, and it doesn't. And Christ and God needs perfection, and only Christ provides that perfection, and he can bring that into our life too. Huh. It kind of brings you back to Jesus again, right? It all comes back to Jesus. It all hinges on him. It all hinges on the resurrection. When Jesus was on this earth, he promised us a counselor who would be there when he was with the Father preparing a place for us. We call this counselor the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this about him in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Interesting. If you want to have faith in Jesus Christ, what do we got to do? Got to love God. How do we know we love God? We obey his commandments. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Man, if it were only that easy, right? Simple and easy are two different things, isn't it? The rules are simple. Breaking my will to follow the Lord, that's not easy. So that's the difference. It says in verse 16, I'll continue on. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it is only looking, it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you, and now and later will be in you praise god for that the holy spirit is gonna come make a place for us in our hearts right praise god for that he's going to help us direct through high conflict he is going to help us direct through 
sin. High conflict likes to take the situation to a false binary, a.k.a. a two-sided story like we talked about earlier. The problem with this is we come away with that winner and that loser, and the people, there's people that feed off of this. There's industries that feed off of this, right? We call those conflict entrepreneurs. Conflict entrepreneurs. You saw this back in high school. Oh, so-and-so and so are getting into this, and the gossip just starts going on and on and on, and pretty soon, um, you see this with coworkers, and soon two sides are forming, right? If you would have just locked them into a room and let them figure it out, the conflict goes way down. We've done that here at White Rose before with, with families. We bring them together, and they're able to resolve things because there's not an audience to go with it. Because if we have an audience, we have a loser. And if we have a loser, then we have somebody that's got to get back. i got to be right. And they lash out and things happen. But these conflict entrepreneurs, they want to escalate the problem because the problem creates news. The problem creates gossip. The problem creates something that they can hang on to and say that, well, I'm better than so-and-so because of what they've been doing. These, these people, these companies, these media outlets, in this, they flame the conflict to find a meaning for power or profit. You see this in Congress today. Think about it. Where can two congressmen from two opposite sides of the aisle go without a camera in their face? They can't. It's always going to be recorded. It's always going to be on tape, and they can always reference it so you can see that. I thought that was interesting. It was one of the things the speaker brought up um, on that. Uh, Her name was Amanda Ripley. So... What's that? Did you say Ripley Jean? No, I said Amanda Ripley. So we need to identify these conflict entrepreneurs. First, we need to make sure that we're not part of the problem, right? We need to look at this and say, is this personal? Is this personal? Am I part of the problem? Am I escalating it how I am trying to fix this solution? Do I have a stake in this? Next, ask um, who is profiting from this conflict? If I'm, if I'm part of the problem, then I need to find a third party to come in here and mediate this situation. You see this in marriages a lot of times. Sometimes we need a, a counselor to come in with that. We see this in politicians. We see this in uh, school conflicts. We see this in unions many a times. Um, the railroad right now, right? The government's probably going to have to step in on that one. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Both parties will get what they need or get what they want, and both parties will lose a little bit of what they need and a little bit what they want, right? It's not necessarily a bad thing. So we need to ask, who is profiting from this conflict? Who's fueling the fire? Working toward resolution, we need to ask, is there a way to reduce the audience so we can so honor can stay intact. We want to make sure their honor is intact just as much as ours is. We don't want to lash out to them or them with us. For example, we don't want to go to Facebook um, with gossip. If we can shut down the gossip, then that's great. And then we need to pray for resolution. This is something that we find in, uh, from the Bible in James chapter 5 verse 16 shows us where to start. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has, is great power and produces wonderful results. We need to work on ourselves first. Anytime you go working on conflict, whether it's spiritual warfare things, whether it is with your neighbor or whether it's with yourself, you always have to start with yourself. Right? If you go into a spiritual war zone and you haven't dealt with the dirt in your heart, guess where those 
spiritual things are going to attack. Where you already have a chink in your armor. They're going to see that sin arrow stuck in your heart, and they're going to wedge in next to it, and they're going to push it open. Right? You can't allow that to happen. And pretty soon despair and desperation comes in there. And if we fight against that in Jesus' name by asking for forgiveness of our sins, it takes away some of those wounds so that we are a more effective warrior for the kingdom of God. Make sense? Yeah, Shane. Thanks, guys. All right. <laughs> we need to work on ourselves. Are we willing to work on our own sin? What's the old rule? When you point fingers at somebody else, you got three pointing back at us. And if you curve that thumb like I do, I got four. I'm in trouble, right? I'm very good at pointing. Yeah, Trinity's over there going, yeah. right? That just means we're more stubborn. We got to take the plank out of our own eye before we work on the speck out of our brothers, right? How do we do that? We find out where are they coming from? Why are they feeling like this? Why are they passionate about this? Tell me more about that. Tell me more. And then finally, Matthew 18, 15, it says, if any, another believer sins against you, Go privately, privately, that's important, that's like the number one rule. Go to them first, privately, and point out their offense. How do you point that out? You wronged me, and that's wrong. <laughs> that's probably not the best way to do it, is it? It would probably be better to say, did you happen to consider that you may have hurt my feelings and really offended me when you said this. Oh, I don't even recall saying that. Maybe that, that's what your pastor will probably say. I don't even remember I said that, right? Well, you did. It was during this time, during this instance. Oh, yes, I did say that. Well, I was just joking around. Well, it didn't come off that way to me. That's why as a pastor, one, the number one rule as your pastor is to eliminate sarcasm. As a pastor, as in church leadership, I don't get to do that very much anymore. I can do that with my peers. Craig and Jim, they know me enough that I can be very sarcastic with them. Or I got to go way over the top and let you know that I'm joking um, to use my sarcasm. It's got to be off the wall crazy. Otherwise, if I come and I get dry and I start saying stuff, um, it does not translate well. That's one thing I've learned. So um, I've learned to eat crow very well. It's yummy, <laughs> right? Not bad with a little barbecue sauce. little barbecue sauce. When we seek after our wonderful counselor for God's solution, we can reduce the suffering that comes with high conflict. The last one, we need counsel. <laughs> So where do we need the wonderful counselor the most? Where do we need the Holy Spirit with a sense of urgency? Generally speaking, I need that wonderful counselor right after I screwed up. Even more specific, I can get more specific with those that I, I screw up with the people I love the most. And the one I love the most on this earth is my wife. Where am I going like, Jesus, take the wheel. Here you go. This is your problem. You said you'd be there with me. Yeah, he's like, yeah, right after you ran it into a brick wall. Way to go, you idiot. I don't think God calls me an idiot, but maybe in my head he does. Um, and it might be well-deserving. Um, that was a very foolish decision of yours to say that to your wife, Shane. Yes, yes, it was. Now come rescue me, Lord. Right? Does he rescue in those situations? I think he does. I think he does. But what happens when you keep going to and hitting that wall, hitting that wall, hitting that wall, hitting that wall? Will he let you go through the pain and the suffering that that wall entails? 
Absolutely, he'll let you do that too, right? Because he's not going to just rescue you out and say, oh, you're, you're, you're okay. You got to deal with your consequences too, don't you? And so you need to protect those relationships that are dear to you. And so it's usually right after we walk ourselves into a major problem, we're saying, Jesus, take the wheel. And oftentimes we get, if we would have given it to Jesus at the very beginning, before there was a major problem, we would have had, wouldn't have had a major problem to deal with in the first place, right? So what do we do when we get to this place of high conflict? When the conflict becomes self-perpetuating and all-consuming and almost everyone ends off worse off, right? When you start opening your mouth and they're already defending themselves or vice versa, they've opened their mouth and you're already defending your point of view, you better, the red flags better come up because it is, we're in trouble. Something, everyone's going to end off worse off. And it typically rears its ugly head in an us versus them type of conflict, like we talked about, that binary conflict. And we've talked about good conflict. And conflict is okay, and it helps us to move forward. It helps us to better this. It's like a brainstorming session. We want to be going through this. But when it comes to this false binary, the problem with this is that there's conflict in entrepreneurs and the worst thing about this it creates an audience and it leads to humiliation it leads to humiliation of a force in public degradation an unjustified loss of dignity pride or status when you don't give the president his respect for the office that he has when you don't um, respect your wife as an equal or her husband as an equal then conflict starts happening and heads start to butt and somebody's going to become a loser and what happens when you lose consistently all the time you lose hope what happens when you win all the time you become a narcissist right there's winning and losing is not necessarily a good thing. So there's three solutions to resolve high conflict according to this Amanda Ripley, and I added a fourth. And this is what we're going to conclude on. We've already talked about two. Praise God, because the sermon's getting long, Pastor. We've already talked about two, right? The binary you didn't laugh at that joke, so I, I can tell it is really getting long. Uh, <laughs> break the binary. We need to break the binary, right? We see these two sides. We need to come. We need to start asking good questions. How have you come to this conclusion is a great question to ask. How did you get to where you're at? Then we need to identify the conflict entrepreneurs. Who is escalating this, whether they mean to or not? How can we get them out of the situation? Can I just talk to two people, the two parties that need to be there? investigate the understory and this is the key to breaking the binary why are they passionate about this when they you hear passion in their voice when they're talking about well this brings me back to my dad my dad was always this and he always did this and he wanted this tell me more about that relationship with you and your dad because there is the heart of the problem right it's not, it, many times it comes back to something they just need to talk through. And if you help them talk through it, they can see how that might even be in conflict of something what they actually believe, but nobody's ever listened to them before. We need to listen. Listen in a way that they know they are heard. Ask good questions. Repeat back what they've said in a, in a way that shows interest because people know when you're not interested, Right? People know. Can you tell me more about that? I want to understand where you're coming from. Ask good questions. Hear what they say. And use your advocate of the wonderful counsel of the Holy Spirit. 
John 14, 26. But when the Father sends an advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I have told you. When Christ gets a hold of your life and the Holy Spirit is really working, your side of the story is not near as important as listening to your neighbor is. Christ softens your heart so you're willing to listen to the other side by and still hold to your principles strongly, right? Can you hold to your foundations and listen to the other side? That's my question this morning. That's really what we're getting down to, how you can defeat high conflict through the Holy Spirit. We have the secret weapon in the Lord. We can mull this over through prayer and petition to the Heavenly Father and allow the Holy Spirit to work through this. We need to give grace, this is number four, instead of humiliation. Nelson Mandela said, there's nobody more dangerous than the one who has been humiliated. Even when they're humiliated rightly. Let me say that again. There's nobody more dangerous than the one who has been humiliated, even when you humiliate them rightly. If somebody is trying to say something smart, which is really stupid, and you put them in your place, you've done it rightly in a sense. That person becomes very dangerous because they just got humiliated in front of their peers. That is dangerous. Yes, we feel like we got a win. We got something under our belt. We've uh, notched our lipstick cases. That's a different song, different reference, but uh, um, whatever it may be. We can't do that, folks. We need to come with compassion. Sometimes we need to come with silence. The work of the wonderful counselor is grace. Amen? Doesn't he extend his grace to each one of us? Shouldn't we extend our grace to the other party? The work of the wonderful counselor is grace. 2 Timothy 1, 9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. We need to follow the God's plan that he puts on our heart through his wonderful counselor. Right? When God says, don't escalate the situation, cool heads will prevail, and we push right past what the Holy Spirit said at the door, and we, it goes right out the mouth, we're in trouble, right? We need to take a step back. Who says we had to answer right away? Who said we had to reply right away? Nobody. Our heart did, right? But the Holy Spirit says, take your time. Take some breath. Come with a clean head. Look to the solution, not at the problem, and look for resolution. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 says this, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love. He, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done. Because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. Our counselor is the one who should be directing the path. Not our self-righteousness, not our even holy righteousness. It should be God's righteousness through the Holy Spirit. And we need to come with that gentle answer to turn away that wrath. Because our wonderful counselor can see over the next hill, around the next bin, when we can't even see the next step to take. Right? God is not bound by time, matter, and space. He wants us to serve him. After all, is why God sent his son in the first place in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will have a son, and you are to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is still saving me 
today from my sins. As well, long as I have breath and I walk this earth, he will need to save me from my sins. We live in a world of, full of darkness and a world full of light. It's one or the other. I kind of lean toward the darkness one. I don't know about you, but the more and more I see out there, man tends to go toward darkness. And if it is indeed darkness, then we need to be pursuing the light all the more so that he, just like he is pursuing us for his glory, so that he shines brightly through the power of the Holy Spirit and his wonderful counselor. When we see, seek after our wonderful counselor for God's solution, we can reduce the suffering that comes from high conflict. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you have gathered us today to worship you uh, through thanksgiving and offerings of friendship, through praise and through your word. Lord, we ask that you would direct us this week, this holiday season, to come with cool heads and warm hearts to those around us, to family members that are being pig-headed. Lord, allow us to come with compassion. Even then, though it's always that way, Lord, you call us to be like that. Lord, help us in our business situations that we would also come with cool heads and warm hearts. And Lord, I pray as you have given grace and mercy to us that we would also re be reminded that we need to give that to others and we don't have any right to come with that anger and a mouthful of contempt. Allow us to have a disciple-making life in Christ Jesus. Thank you for giving us a disciple-making life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you're sending our ways to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our heart to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for these disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.